Hello, this is Ricky Heller, and today we'll be mapping compliance for restricted diets on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in clinical care. Everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with my dear friend, Ricky Heller. Ricky Heller is a healthy eating coach, educator, writer, and whole foods recipe developer. Ricky helps people with dietary restrictions fall in love with food again without feeling deprived so they can focus on healing and living their best lives. Through her coaching and online programs, Ricky shares her passion for living well without sugar, gluten, eggs, or dairy, and teaches people how to thrive no matter their dietary restrictions. She is also the author of four books, including Sweet Freedom, which was recommended by Ellen DeGeneres, and the best-selling guide and cookbook, Living Candida Free. And hey, I'm the co-author of that book. Ricky contributes frequently to various magazines and websites, as well as appearing regularly on TV and podcasts. Ricky, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I am excited to spend this time with you. I'm excited to always spend time with you, Ricky. And I'm wondering if we can start by talking about what you mean by a restricted diet. Well, it's what most people think of when they hear the term. So we're looking at people who have had to restrict items from their diet or remove items from their diet that... When you think of a general population who doesn't have any allergies or can eat, basically can eat whatever they want, someone on a restricted diet in my world is someone who had to remove some of those foods in order to obtain optimal health. And is it usually coming from a practitioner who's told them to restrict a diet? Or when you're working with clients, are you having people who are coming to you having identified restrictions for themselves or having read about dietary theories or who self-diagnose with things like histamine intolerance or uh, other things that might be low FODMAP? Are they identifying themselves or both? What's interesting, I would say it's about 50-50. I, I think a lot of people who, obviously, if they've been diagnosed as celiac, then they're restricting mm. gluten. But I have a lot of people who say they just didn't feel great. They knew, you know, they had read about it online. They decided to remove dairy from their diet, and they found that they were feeling better. So they, you know, they had less bloating, or they just weren't getting cramps or, or things like that. And interestingly, some of the people, it seems almost that there's this perception that it's just healthier. 
if there happens to be a trend in the nutrition world like keto. So I've met a lot of people who are trying to follow a keto diet, even though they have no medical reason for having to do so. (laughs) Yeah, that's tricky too, because there could be reasons why that diet doesn't work for them, but they're restricting possibly even nutrient-dense foods for some theory that exists outside of their body. Exactly. And, And I find in those cases, more often than not, it's for weight loss. So speaking about tricky... Ricky, (laughs) how do you define compliance? This is like, this is a word I have a lot of issue with. And as somebody who trains practitioners, I always say, if somebody can't be compliant, it's our fault, so to speak, or our responsibility, Mm. not the client or the patients, because they don't really understand why they're doing something and how it impacts them. So When you think about Mm. compliance in the clients that you're working with in your coaching practice, how do you define that compliance? Sure. And and I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it because I, I think you're right. And I think even sometimes when they do understand, they find it incredibly difficult to comply. So for me, if I were going to give the ideal definition or the definition of compliance in an ideal client, it would be someone who never veered from their restricted diet, the diet that allowed them to have the best health that their body was capable of, right? Right. But I do find I've kind of loosened the parameters over the years because for most people, I think that's close to impossible unless there's like an anaphylactic allergy and they know they're going to die if they eat something. But for most people, if there's a food that they love, even if they know I've had clients say to me, I made the choice to have that chocolate cake and I knew I wasn't going to feel well for three days, but it was a conscious choice and I felt it was worth it, right? So people are willing to do that kind of thing with their food. So for me now, when I think of compliance, I think of someone who follows their restricted diet to the extent that they are not causing any kind of negative symptoms or flaring a condition. So if someone is able to, let's say they're gluten sensitive and they are able to have gluten once every six months or on their birthday or something like that, and they don't have any negative health consequences as a result, I would still consider that compliance. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think you know back from the days where we were working together more that I like to think of it as the path. So that's the dietary restrictions, the bike lane or the shoulder, depending on where you live. (laughs) I live in Portland, Oregon, (laughs) and the poison ivy. And like you said, there are certain foods that are in the poison ivy lane. And for the most part, people, unless they're self-harming, are avoiding walking through the poison ivy. But it is very hard to stay on a strict path. And that's where we do need a little wiggle room. For me, for instance, that wiggle room wouldn't be eating gluten, but that wiggle room may be having a certain kind of uh, chip or dessert or something that I could have on occasion that I wouldn't eat all the time. Yeah, exactly. I think too, Ricky, and I, I know that you dive deeply into the kind of psychological aspects related to dietary restriction, we're also different when it comes to changes in our diet. And some people are more rebellious. Some people adhere to doing whatever they're told. Some people do need to understand the big why and want to see their research. Does that difference in personality or psychology in that arena impact what you see with dietary compliance? 
I think it really does. And, and for that reason, like my approach is kind of a three-pronged approach for that reason. And we try to cover, I try to cover all the bases. So I always start with the food and my theory over the years has become if we can replace the foods that they love with equally delicious foods that are compliant within their nutritional boundaries, then I think people are going to be more likely to stick with it. There's a, I think it's a relatively new book called Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so what he's talking about replacing one thing with another. And he actually says that if, if you replace the current habit with something that isn't as pleasurable or isn't as satisfying, then people aren't going to stick with it. And I, I think that happens so often with food because when people hear restricted diet, they believe that they're going to have to eat foods they don't like, you know, these healthy foods and you know i'm gonna to have to kill every day or whatever it cardboard. is cardboard they don't think cardboard they... <laughs> tree bark yeah, i know a lot of people <laughs> exactly right so so i always start with the food but then i think for many people the next step is changing the habits so mm-hmm. if if the food doesn't do it so uh, and doesn't help them to comply they have to look at what habits are in play that are bringing them back to the old diet where are they falling off the wagon when it comes to their behaviors and their environment and then the third phase is always looking at the emotional component because mm-hmm. if there's a reason someone has mastered the you know if they've mastered the other two but yet they're still going back to some of those old foods more often than not it's because there's there's an emotional eating component to it and i i think that's the hardest one really to be honest to overcome but it can be done obviously with time it just takes a bit longer than some of the other ones i love how you identified those three different stages cuz i think there's often a perception that if we just change the food everything else will fall into place and i say this over and over again and i've said this on this podcast dietary change is not a handout. So even if we give the handouts with the recipes or the changes, it's still more complicated than that because of those habits, because of that emotional component. There could also be physiological components that are deeply connected to those emotional components. How is it that you address the habits to begin with before we get to the emotions? It's the awareness and mindfulness of what's happening. I mean, that's the first step. So people will look at where are they falling off? What was the situation? What were their thoughts? What were they thinking? What were they doing? And keeping track of that. So if somebody, for instance, finds that they are always, when they go out with friends to a restaurant, although not these days, of course, but right. um, if, they're, if, if they're out with friends at a restaurant and that's when they tend to have the pasta that they know they shouldn't have or whatever, what is the trigger? So we look at the habit loop and what is the trigger that's causing it and can we somehow change that on whatever level, maybe go to a different restaurant or some preparation before they go to the restaurant, something that will change the sequence of behaviors. And that's always the first step is just becoming aware of it because people sometimes, you know, when we talk about it, people feel that that it's just this irresistible urge that they suddenly have. But that usually isn't true. It's usually some sort of factors that are leading up to that moment. When, and at the moment they make the decision, it's too late to step back. So if they can catch themselves before, they can intervene with another behavior or something else that they can use to help them make a different choice at that moment. So trigger could be going to that restaurant, going out with friends. Are there other common triggers that you've encountered in working with your clients? Yeah. So I think more often than not, it's it's 
something to do with the social situation, like eating with the family or a weekend or a particular, like I said, restaurant. But very often, it's simply someone is accustomed to doing something at a particular time. So let's say someone is used to watching TV in the evening as a way to relax with their husband or just on their own or whatever, and that's the time they always have a bowl of chips. Mm -hmm. So the trigger is the sitting down to the TV, right? So, I mean, there are so many ways that you can change that particular. You can have something else prepared as the bowl that you're going to bring upstairs instead of the chips all ready to go so that you remember to bring something else. You can change the environment in the room where you watch TV, you can change the time that you watch TV. So there are lots of things they can do, but it might just be the fact that it's that time of day, they're accustomed to doing that same thing every day. And that would be what you would would look at instead then in that case. And what about people who are not supportive? Like in that situation that you just described, you're sitting down with your partner and you have this activity and you eat those chips and you want to make a change. So you bring your like baked apple chips or whatever it is you're eating. And your partner is like, I hate these chips. I want the, you know, nachos or Doritos that I usually eat. How do you help your clients work around those triggers that are external or unsupportive sources in their lives? Well, I think there has to be a way either to get the other person on board or at least have them accept the situation or, you know, we have to remove ourselves from that situation. I mean, it just really boils down to that for me. So, With so many of my clients, they're not at a point emotionally where they're able to do that. So, for instance, um, when someone's starting an anti-candida diet, let's say, I always advise that for the first month, you do not go to restaurants. Mm -hmm. Because what you want to do is build up that mental and emotional reserve and that strength to be able to say no thank you, even if there is pressure around you. And, And Just the fact is people are not going to be able to do that within the first couple of weeks of being on a new diet because there's so many other things their mind has to contend with in terms of learning the foods and just learning to be okay with eating this new way and understanding the recipes and whatnot. So I think it takes a certain personal strength to be able to do that. And people have to learn to get to that point before they can say no to, you know, I'm not going to indulge in the chips or, they, I, you know, be able to say to their partner, okay, you have chips and I'll have the apple chips right? and be okay with that. Yeah. And you talked about something there that made me think back to a notion you had talked about with uh, the reward. You know, I'm going to eat that chocolate cake for my birthday and it's worth the risk of the three days I experienced. And I always think of this as the risk reward or the cost benefit that we can work with our clients on to help them understand what is that cost and are you taking responsibility for that? And does the benefit outweigh that cost. And as you're saying, sometimes it takes feeling that difference in the body, which could take time and buying into the situation that we're in and that we're comfortable with. That's hard to pull away from. And I think it takes a lot of support and it's support that's often overlooked. Yeah. I think it also takes time to get to that point in the mind as well as the body, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think of, I always think of a client who would go to her in-laws for dinner knowing that they were going to feed her gluten. She was celiac and she just felt unable to say no to her mother-in-law. Wow. And so she was willing to be sick 
in order to accommodate the other person. And I think for so many people, that there's that kind of dilemma where, you know, you, you think of the, the the idea of wanting to remain part of the tribe and, and right. just how painful rejection can be. And so for her, the rejection was more painful than the actual physical pain she knew she was going to go through. And so it would require... I think more time for someone like that to get to the point where she's okay saying no versus someone who immediately senses a difference in their body and they're feeling so much better. And for them, that gives them the strength to say, I'm not willing to go back there where I was before in terms of my own physical pain, just to accommodate someone else's sense of, you know, being a good host or whatever. Right. Yeah. And this brings us back to that emotional piece, the third part of your paradigm, because what you're speaking to is something that I know a lot of women, probably men, but a lot of women experience, which is this desire to please and not create conflict. And so oftentimes we're actually engaging in behaviors to please other people or to make everything okay, to not cause any disrupt in a situation even when it causes us harm. Exactly. And and I do find that, so there, there's so much in terms of just building up self-acceptance, self-love, working on setting boundaries. Those kinds of things can be really useful for people. And I do find that in terms of the support, you know, when, for instance, a spouse sees someone, and usually I, I work with women, so it's usually a husband, you know, if whether or not they were supportive to begin with, as they see their wife feel better and better, and if they feel they're not losing out on the food they like. So again, that's why I think introducing the new foods that really do taste good and that you could serve to anybody is so important because often the husbands come on board at that point once they're able to eat the food and say, hey, this tastes good. And at the same time, their wife is, you know, regaining her energy and she's feeling so much better and looking so much better. That's when they come on board. Right. And that takes a little bit of time. Ricky, why is it that this realm of work has captured your attention so much? Well, I think part of it is, you know, over the years, as I was working with people, I was doing very, you know, working on the level that you were mentioning, which is giving people food plans and supplement plans and telling them what they should eat. And I found that even with all that information, that wasn't always sufficient. And some people flew with it and they were great, but it was the people who weren't um, succeeding with that. And so over the years, I've been hearing from people, you know, coming into my world saying, you know, I, I was on the candida diet or not even someone who has a condition maybe as serious as candida, just people who say to me, I know that when I eat gluten, I don't feel well, and yet I can't, you know, prevent myself from having it. And so I actually initially was asked by a lot of my clients, how did you do it? Because I've been on this diet for 20 years now, and I, I, you know, I haven't gone off the diet. I haven't cheated on the diet. So they wanted to know how did you do that, and that was what initially inspired a a program that I gave a couple years ago. And then working with those women, I realized that, there was so much more going on there. And that's really what interests me is what's happening inside someone's mind that can affect everything else in their life. I I just found it, uh, there was more depth there. It was just much more interesting for me to 
work with those kind of people. Yeah, I just want to applaud that, Ricky. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. And I love that you're taking that slowed approach to recognize the reality for each and every individual making dietary change and moving towards the realm of compliance. And that recognition that it's a journey, it's a process. And most of our clients and patients need that support. So thank you. Oh, thank you. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode by email, please head over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch. We want to know your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 